eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Project Egg Show. I'm your host, Ben Gothard, and today we have the honor of speaking with Kurt Mercadante. How are you doing today, Kurt? Great, Ben. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. And I must ask, what is your story? Well, my story, you know, it can be probably summed up my shirt. It asks a simple question. You can barely see it. And that is, what does freedom mean to you? And if you sum up my vision in life right now, I actually want to quote from your poem, Set Free, which is the very end of the poem says, with the various possibilities of all to pursue, I'd love to stick to one through and through this one special thing, which would capture my mind and set me free to fly and leave my cage behind. That's been my journey from being stuck in a prison to, uh, to gaining my freedom. And that's what I do now. It's my vision is to save the world by helping individuals fight for lives of freedom and fulfillment. Well, the fact that you just quoted my own poem <laughs> on the show, like, and that means so much to me. Thank you. Thank oh, you. Oh, my pleasure. It, it, I was looking through it. I'm like, this is it. This is, this, this sums up what I do and my purpose right now in life. Well, that's a, that means so much to me. Like, seriously, you have no idea. I'm, I'm getting actually a little bit emotional because of that. So thank <laughs> you. Um, but I, I would, I would love to hear about, um, I'd love to hear the journey, the journey yeah. where you started and, and how you got here. Yeah, I um I had uh, you know I grew up in Illinois, Chicago. Went to the University of Iowa. Wanted to save the world ever since I was little. Uh, my I have a number of siblings that are much older than me, and my dad was like a real life Tony Stark. He designed fighter jets, led the team that designed all the electronic switches on the Boeing seven 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 designed uh, shoulder-fired missiles, worked on the space program. After he passed away, we found thank yous for his work on the Mercury Mariner mission. I think that was correct. I think I got that right. And I always had this feeling like I wanted to be a superhero. I wanted to save the world because my siblings were much older. I watched a lot of superhero movies, a lot of self-play superhero. And I always had that feeling. I actually went into politics and I went into PR. And, um, you know, I started a successful agency. I've built three profitable businesses. They've all done six figures in year one, including a successful seven-figure PR ad, an ad agency that I scaled over 13 years. And I thought I was changing the world with that agency. And I had a journey over that 13 years where I realized I wasn't fulfilled. First, it was a sense of not having the freedom I wanted. A lot of entrepreneurs, including myself, built a prison instead of a business where even though I work from home, I wasn't seeing my wife, wasn't seeing my kids, my mental, physical health sucked. Prescription drugs, weight gain, anxiety attacks so bad that I had to ask my wife to get the kids out of the house because I couldn't stand the sound of their voices. I did a number of things to gain my freedom. I fired half my clients. I raised my prices. I cut my workday in half, but I didn't have that fulfillment. And when my dad passed away in 2012, all those awesome things I mentioned that he did in his career, grown men at his wake crying, 80 years old. Not one person mentioned a darn thing he did in his career. It's all about husband, father, volunteering at our church. Uh, he was the president of the University of Notre Dame Club locally. All those things. And it was like a slap in my face. He had set this example. My dad was my hero, my mentor. He was my superhero. And I wasn't living up to that. And even though I was making a bunch of money, I realized there and then I wasn't doing what I was meant to do. 
I had, I needed to free, leave my cage behind as you wrote. I didn't know what that was, but I knew I was going to find it. And around that time I had started coaching people. Um, they were like, you're making money. You're an entrepreneur, coach people. And when I coach people on the days I coach people, I realized I had that feeling like I was doing what I was meant to do. I was saving the world, a small part of the world. And I learned to love that and hate the agency. And I had like a four-year plan at one point. I was going to run, I was going to ramp down the agency, ramp, ramp up coaching. The fear was keeping me back. And I could have done that. I could have kept that four years going for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years until finally I woke up one day. I was supposed to have the week off. All my clients knew it, but that didn't stop them. Hop on this conference call, send us that report, hop on an email, did blah, 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 all this stuff. And I woke up that morning and I said, I'm done. And I went to my wife and I said, I'm done. That's it. I was terrified to tell her that. And she said, it's about time because she saw it was killing me. And so my four-year plan turned into a four-week plan. And I started coaching full-time. I don't coach as much anymore. I do training, speaking, workshops, those types of things. But my vision is to save the world by helping individuals fight for lives of freedom and fulfillment. I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of salespeople um, to get into sometimes a career shift. Sometimes it's finding freedom within the business you've already built, freedom within your career. Find that alignment in your life that allows you to live the lifestyle you actually desire instead of one by default. So that's my story. <laughs> so why do you think that we do that to ourselves? Like, why do we get in, into, you know, going and chasing the things that we want, but then end up in this thing where we're kind of stuck in this, this business that we've created? I think um, a variety of reasons. I think one thing is sometimes we chase things we think we want, but we don't really want. You know, I think a lot of that goes back to the way we're raised, our schooling system. Notice I didn't say education system, our schooling system that breeds conformity and apathy, a sit down, shut up, memorize. And by the way, if you don't do all those things, we're going to tell your parents you have a disorder and they're going to drug you. And it goes, you know, Thomas Edison was told he had an adult brain and his mom said, nope, he's out. She homeschooled him. And, you know, these days they would have given him ADHD drugs. We may not have the light bulb, right? A lot of people say that's hype. Not really the way we're, and I, I did a video on this recently and I had some teachers say, that's not true. That's not true. I had dozens of people messaging me saying it's absolutely true. It happened to me, happened to my kids. I think it, it's bred there. Um, I also think <clears throat> we have a lot of scarcity going around in the world. Um, you know, heck, you look at our political system, both the right and the left is based on scarcity. It's kind of based on an us versus them, the pie is it's win, lose. That's it. In our lives, I think it's, if you go for freedom and fulfillment, you want more. People are like, oh, you should just be happy with what you have. And they call that gratitude. It's not. It's guilt and stagnation. But if you're unhappy, if you're making that money, if you want to do something different than what you got your college major in, it's like, oh, why are you wasting that college major? Why aren't you using that? Why don't you go into something you want? And so what we desire and what we want, we, we've we've been conditioned to feel guilty about that. We've been conditioned to feel guilty about a lot of things instead of, you know, people confuse the word desire with hedonism. And it's not. I desire to spend more time with my wife and kids. I desire to work four hours a day, not work Fridays, but still make a million dollars. You're allowed to do that. And so probably a long answer to a, to a more simple question, but... <laughs> Well, my friend, long answers are very much encouraged on this show. So awesome. <laughs> please, please elaborate. 
but but I think you bring up a great point of you know there there is this system that it it creates a very predictable outcome, and and it's almost like a, an assembly line where everybody's supposed to come out the same way, but we're all very very different people, and to me, that is that's very frustrating because like you said, if we have this dream or we have this thing that we want to do when we're little, but then all through our lives, and I'm sure they're not even doing it on purpose. They probably just don't even know any better. Uh, but telling us, Oh, that's not possible. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, you shouldn't want that. That's not, you know, don't know. Do, be more realistic. At some point, that inner desire, that inner like fire, it's got to come out and it's got to come out some way. And it probably will lead to a lot of pain as it, as it erupts, because think of how many 20 something year olds you talk to and you're like, Hey, what are you going to do with your life? Or what do you want to do? And they're like, I don't know. Or, Oh my God, I have no idea. Dr. Peter Gray, he's got an excellent book called free to learn he's written a lot about this and talks about the extreme structure and increase in standardization as we're raised. And, you know, you got kindergartens canceling theater programs because they're not college and career ready enough. And it used to be, we encouraged free play now because of fears that, well, fears that there's a killer around every corner, that violence is increasing when in fact it's plummeted extremely across the world and in the United States that you don't let kids play in the neighborhood anymore because of litigation concerns. You know, my kids got chased out of climbing a tree in the city park. So you don't have this free play. What we do have is it's the soccer team and we got to win the championship and you got to play soccer. You got to play football. You got to play basketball because extracurricular will get you into college. So it's this extreme structure where people, humans, don't have to make decisions for the first 18 years of their life. Then they get to 18. What do we tell them? You got to make a decision that's going to impact the rest of your life. What are you going to major in? And that's going to determine it. And Dr. Gray writes 17 and 18, there's been an increase in anxiety, a loss of sense of control because they've never had to have control. And now you're like, what, what do you want to do? Well, and then you look at the amount of time the average uh, college student changes majors and then they determine a major and the majority, I think it's out of uh, uh, Duquesne University or Pitt. They, they did some studies on this and find the majority of them choose a major that someone else wanted them to do. And, you know, I train a lot of people, they get to 45. And the problem is they've been living the last 25 years of their life based on what their dad told them to do or what was chosen for them when they're 10. And to your point, they've been lacking that fulfillment that, uh, what do I want to do? You know, what's that one thing that I meant to do here on this earth? And unfortunately, listen, that journey is part of who they are, but maybe they should have, could have short-circuited that <laughs> earlier. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, you know, when I went to college, I was, I went into pre-med because I thought I was going to be a doctor because I really looked up to my uncle, who's, who's my godfather. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And very, very quickly, I realized, whoa, this is so not what I want to do. And I mean, I got really, really lucky that I kind of randomly stumbled on entrepreneurship, but so many in that, you know, changed my life forever. But, but so many people, they just, they don't, they're not that lucky. Like I got really, really lucky. They're not that lucky. And then they end up doing things that they hate. You know, there's, there's almost nothing worse to me 
than the thought of waking up every day and spending eight to 10 hours every day doing something that you seriously, truly loathe at your core. Oh, there's, that's just, oh. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's too many people that do that because, you know, when we're kids, we ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I asked my son, this was last year. And he's like, I want to be a movie director and a spy, you know, somewhere along the line, we stop asking other people, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we start asking, stop asking ourselves that. And a lot of people, I ask people thirties, forties, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they stop and they think, gosh, no one's ever asked me. And now it's a tough question because I don't know what I want to do because I have these beliefs that I should be practical, responsible. I'm a paycheck provider. You know, I ask people at a very basic, who are you? I do a workshop, nine out of 10 people usually on VP of sales. They give me a job title. It's like, no, you're a husband, you're a father, you're a sister, you're a brother, you're a son, you're a daughter, friend, brother, you know, and we got to get back to that. Who are you as a person? And it's, it is, you know, it's a little bit conformity, a little bit apathy where people do settle for that eight to 10 hours of loathing their day for their entire lives. And, um, it's a shame. It's, and it's, it's why I do what I do. I love the question of, uh, who are you? Cause I think that really, really, I mean, I mean, you could take it seriously, and then you can actually get some true benefit of it and go through a, a lot of discomfort and really get some meaningful answers. I and mean, you could also just kind of brush it off, but <laughs> I, I love that question. And one of my mentors years ago, I, I was kind of asking him, you know, a few different things and I was a bit confused and he told me the same thing. He's like, I want you to figure, like, ask yourself that question, ask yourself, ask yourself, who am I? And what he also said was, once you figure that out and you you give it a go, do it again the next day and see yeah. like over the course of a month. If you answer that question 30 times, like what is your answer? Because it's going to evolve and I promise you it's not going to be the same every single – unless you sit there and copy paste. But <laughs> Yeah. No, totally. And I think, it, I, I think there's common threads, you know. We each have our truth. And asking yourself that question every day, you know, for six months, you may have a different answer, but there, there's probably a common thread. Um, I'm a Gallup certified strengths trainer. And when we look into these strengths there, I call them your untapped superpowers. And it goes to the heart of who you are. And a lot of folks I find have no idea what they are. Uh, they do know what they are and they're not using them. And once you start getting in that superpower zone every day, it's like, wow, I'm flowing instead of grinding. I'm enjoying my days. I'm doing what I love. I'm doing what I'm passionate about. Um, things are coming easier to me. It's amazing, but it, it's, that, it's that journey of self-awareness, which is tough. It's really tough. Oh, yeah, it's tough. So I have to ask, what are your strengths? So learner, context, activator, responsibility, and intellection. And it sounds like, you know, as it sounds like you've taken it too. Mm -hmm. And what are yours? So I am a, I'm co competitive. Okay. Um, it's been a while, but achiever, okay. activator, uh, ideation and, or maybe futuristic, whichever one is the subset of the other. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't remember the other one, maybe something around influence. Maybe that was one of the higher up. Um, yeah, I haven't looked at it in a while, but around those. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, they're, they, they go to the heart of who we are. 
you know, when you work in your superpower zone instead of your weaknesses zone, you are, listen, uh, you know, I'm probably dating myself, but for years there was an NBA uh, uh, basketball player named Muggsy Bogues. Muggsy was five foot five, played for years for several teams, Charlotte Hornets. He might've played for the Atlanta Hawks. I can't remember. But if Muggsy had focused on his weaknesses, he can't grow. He's not going to be a six footer. If you had told Muggsy, if you just work hard enough, you will be an NBA center. That's just cruel. He focused on his strengths and what he did best. He doubled down on them. And you know what? He was the best Muggsy Bogues. He wasn't going to be Jordan. He wasn't going to be Dikembe Mutombo or Larry Bird. He was the best he was by focusing on who he was, doubling down on and amplifying that. Listen, he didn't, uh, you know, I'm sure he did jumping drills so he could jump higher. He didn't ignore his weaknesses, but he focused on amplifying his strengths. And so if we did a lot more of that and use them intentionally, you know, my learner is number one. If I don't start the day off with reading one or two books, even having nothing to do with my job, it's just about working out that muscle and you condition it for the day so that I can use that learner muscle in every single thing I do. Yeah. And to me, like, that's the key is to, is to like triple down on the things that you're really, really good at. And the, the, you talked about self-awareness earlier to know those things. That's so critically important. That is so critically important because you may go through, you know, the next five years of your life focusing on something that you just may not be good at, but, or, or maybe you're okay at it, but this thing over here, you could be just so much better, so much better at, but you weren't doing it. You're doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business people who spend their days in their weaknesses zone. I, I do a, a, a little um, activity where I ask people, you know, take out a pen or pencil and a piece of paper and write down with your dominant hand, I use my strengths every day and write that three times. And so they do it and they're done pretty quickly. And I say, now switch hands, do with your non-dominant hand. Takes like four times as long. I hear groans and moans and it's sloppy Often, we force ourselves to do the equivalent of writing with our non-dominant hand every single day. And then we wonder, oh, I'm so busy. I'm unproductive. I don't like my day. I'm grinding. And that goes to the heart of it. I, ha- I have five pillars. It's five pillars of the freedom lifestyle. The first is superpowers. The second is vision. And it goes to that, who are you? Where do you want to go? Having that clear vision for your life pairs your purpose for living with the impact you want to have on the world. It's that guiding star, the desired outcome for your life. And again, a lot of people have never, or they stopped asking themselves that question. And then they hit a wall because they've gone through life like a pinball from objective to objective. And I, you ask a lot of people, well, my purpose, you're in your 20s. What's your purpose? My purpose is making partner and making 100 grand. Then in your 30s, my purpose is to whatever. No, those are objectives. It's okay to have those. But what's the thread? Where are they leading to? And a lot of folks that I work with and, and people in general get to a point where they hit a wall and they're like, where, where am I going? Like, what's this all leading to? And if you don't have that now, it's fine. Don't feel bad about it, but don't settle for it. Start that journey now to define your vision. I think that's so critical. And, and I love the superpower and, and vision combo as the, <laughs> as the first two pillars. You know, it's interesting. Um, one, of, one of the things that, and you mentioned purpose, one of the things that I feel so, so strongly about is spending time really digging into your core to figure that out. 
Yeah. And, you know, a couple sun, I say a couple now, it's been, it's been months now. Um, but a Sunday in the not that uh, distant past, um, I literally sat down outside and I'm Jewish. And so I kind of did this on purpose. because I thought it'd be kind of a funny story, but it's also practical. But I got like one of those scrolls that's like, um, you know, it, you just don't run out of paper. <laughs> and, so, and so I sat down outside, pen in hand or pencil in hand, and I started writing. And I literally forced myself to sit there and write for five hours. And it, I didn't say for five hours, but I couldn't get up until I had figured out what my purpose was at that exact time. And so I sat down and write and figured it out. And one of the things, one of the things I realized was it is a constantly evolving thing. You will very few times if you're 21 and then in 10 years, 31, very few times will that purpose be the same both of those times. And that's okay. But figuring it out and diving into one now and just attaching your identity, something to move forward from, from a place of power. It's so critical because you'll discover the right path. You could pivot along the way. Yeah. When you're, you know, when you're in your twenties, early thirties, I think, that sense of self-discovery is so vital and you may not settle on it. I think at some point though, your purpose is going to be your purpose. And if it has to change, then it's not your purpose. And getting really to that heart of what it is, I've known since I was 10 years old that my purpose was to save the world. At first I thought it was politics, jumped into it and realized you know, that politics is about saving the politicians. Um, but I still had that with me and it took it took self-discovery with my coach to really figure out, all right, you keep talking about superpowers. You keep talking about saving the world. There's this common theme. You talk about your dad. You've always had that feeling. So it may change, but you may have common threads. And once you then settle on it, you know, most of the people I work with are late thirties or forties. And so I think when you're in your twenties, it's because, yeah, it's constantly evolving. You're learning. Sometimes you're learning by suffering. <laughs> you're learning through humiliating and humbling experiences. And so figuring that out, but when, once you get to your late thirties or forties, you kind of look back and you're like, wow, there was a common theme and now I'm going to figure it out. And now I'm just, I'm going to go and get it. Um, you know, the key is, um, being on that journey of self-discovery, not conforming, asking key questions along the way so you don't mess up your 20s and 30s, <laughs> you know, um, and, and some of that starts with parenting and schooling and, you know, things that start, gosh, at age five, as we've talked about. So, well, it's, it's awesome that you say that because the, the final conclusion that I got to um, during that writing was that at least at this point for right now, I'm on a journey of continuous self-discovery to more fully get in touch with who I am at my core so that I can more authentically express myself. So it's, that's awesome. It, so it, it's, it's fascinating that, that you're talking about, you know, ask yourself the right questions and being in like the discovery mode. Cause that's totally it. Like that's at the root of it, at least for me for right now. And I feel like a lot of the, of the people my age and I'm 24, a lot of people my age feel very, very similarly. Maybe they, they haven't taken the time to really sit down and articulate it, but that it, it's, it's like they have a searching, they have this, this sense of searching and, and trying to like figure it out. I mean, I talk to a lot of people, my age, and it's like, they're always trying to look for that, for that thing. Yeah. And I think, I think when, when you look at your poetry and your writing, 
you know, you talked about sitting down and just writing out and trying to write through and figure out your purpose, the self-discovery, but the fact that you have a podcast, it's not only self-discovery, but I see you helping others along that self-discovery as well. You may determine that the self-discovery kind of, it's not a self-discovery to find your purpose. The self-discovery might be your purpose. And you might be in a constant state of self-discovery. I think we all should be, quite honestly, for your entire life and you're helping others to do it. I mean, through this podcast, through, through the discussions that you talked about, that's the very premise of this program. I think one thing that's very important that you talk about is asking questions and asking yourself questions. One of the things I think that's lacking, I interviewed on my podcast a guy named Michael Strong, and he, he was a teacher for decades and he has now founded, he used to teach the Socratic method to other teachers. Sometimes that was rejected, um, you know, because standardization and all that. He's now founded with Venture Capital Cash, a, a, a chain of schools called, uh, he would probably not like to call it a chain of schools, but the Academy of Thought and Industry. And one of the big things they do is Socratic method, asking those questions. And I think that is something that is lacking, not only in self-discovery, but in our world today, gosh, politics or whatever. I had a discussion earlier today and we were talking about fake news and person said, well, yeah, but don't you think people are more questioning things now? I said, not questioning the things the way Socrates would like it. They're questioning it, you know, to use the political example, they're combating fake news, they're questioning it, but then they're basically telling you what their fake news is. So it's almost like you're questioning it, but then you're throwing fake news at it. Pure Socratic questioning is there's no judgments. There's no real, it's a true argument where we're going to read a book together and then we're going to discuss it. And you may say things that I don't necessarily agree with and I might ask you questions, but in the process, we both learn. And that's how people truly learn. The memorization, the standardization breeds conformity and apathy. So I think, um, you know, what you're doing is very important for yourself and for your listeners and uh, for anyone in your orbit. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate being a part of it. And Thank you know, you. one of the, one of the things that is, is so critical, um, you know, like, like you were saying is really, you know, really getting to the base of like, what do you, ba- what, where's your, uh, your, your fact coming from, or rather, where's your opinion coming from? Is it coming from fact? Is it fake news? Is, are you, taking your opinion or considering your opinion a fact right i think that is so so dangerous and as of right now it is august of 2019 right so just to give it a time stamp but at this point in our society i think we're at a very very dangerous place uh in 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 that in a specific way of people not doing the research to back up what they say and you know one of my best friends in the whole world he is huge into journalism, and he's a he's a phenomenal journalist. I mean, if he's trying to get to the heart of a story into the truth of it, by golly, he will. And I, I have so much respect for him. And we were talking about this, and he he was saying how it's it's so weird because we're in this place where you know if you if, if a lot of people just see a headline or they'll hear something and then they'll just take it as fact and repeat it without actually checking it or researching it or finding out if there's truth behind it almost all. And I'm not sure if this is pure irony. Sometimes I struggle with the definition of irony, but almost ironically, as a result of that, 
kind of the death of journalism. All, all, all journalists are now banding together and it's getting stronger because they have to have – they can't be wrong because if somebody does check them and they're like, oh, well, you're doing fake news too. you know. So it, it was this very interesting conundrum of a lot of people, a lot of the you know normal people out there are not doing the due diligence, which is actually weirdly putting pressure on journalists to be better. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, I mean you go back to uh, the campaign where Dan Rather – had the forged documents and tried to railroad George W. Bush. Um, you know, it's been done on both sides. You know, back at the founding of the Republic, it's funny that people joke about fake news and how it's so destructive. You talk about fake news, like every politician had their own newspaper. Thomas Jefferson had other people running a fake newspaper. He would write the articles, use a pen name. There were all these, there was, there was a ton of fake news going on. And yet we survived and a lot of people voted and people were smarter because I think at that point to survive, you had to be a nonconformist. You had to do some research. Were there obvious, you know, were there true believers who were drinking the Kool-Aid? Yes. But I think if you also go back to how people were educated at that time, they were self-educated. Um, they did a lot, you know, there's the Thomas Jefferson education movement, you know, Asking those key questions, Ayn Rand in Atlas Shrugged talks about checking your premises. And when someone approaches you with something that they say is true, do you take that as fact and truth or do you say, well, that's an assumption. I'm going to ask key questions to figure out what that is. Doing that with yourself is key too. Um, when you have a limiting belief, is it fact? No, I'm going to take that as an assumption. I don't have time to work out and get healthy. Well, is that a fact or an assumption? Well, how long do you need to work out every day? Well, I got to run an hour every day. Really? Couldn't you do a 20-minute HIIT workout three times a week? Oh, okay. Well, let's peel it back. You know, it, you could apply that to anything. That questioning doesn't happen anymore. And it doesn't, even if we're relying on journalists to self-police, any one area that becomes too strong without a check and a balance is is going to be a problem. That's like saying Congress police itself. Well, <laughs> you know, it's a, it, it's a little tough. When you have that checks and balance, when you have, you know, incentives matter and the incentive to do the right thing because people are going to call BS on you and ask start asking powerful questions, um, that is very powerful. And so I'm all for the democratization of media. Even if there is fake news, weed it out. But But you even see now like Google and Facebook are going to weed things out. And they have an algorithm doing it. And they have history professors who have had their YouTube videos about Nazism block. They're teaching a lesson about history. And well, we can't have that. Well, that doesn't, you've gone too far. The pendulum has swung way too far, in my opinion. So it's a little rant. <laughs> well, that brings up another interesting point of, it, you know, how, in part of trying to fight fake news, if you're going to just remove it, like how do you do so where, where it protects our right to free speech? But it, at the same time, it's like removing the, the, the trash, the garbage, and then, you know, take it to kind of a, kind of a different side who, you know, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, who is the one making that decision? 
if it's a if it's a bot, who's the one programming the bot, giving it the input? How are you going to make the decision of what is allowed and what's not? Is that violating people's free speech? How does that all work with with the fake news? There, there's so many questions. There's so many questions. Yeah, I, you know, I'm radically well. You know, I'm radically about freedom, and. I don't think we have to weed out the fake news. Uh, I don't think we have to do away with it. I think we also have to realize that Facebook, Twitter, Google, YouTube, that's someone else's real estate that they're allowing us to freeload on. And so if we don't want to use it, we don't have to use it. I think that the more destructive and dangerous piece is coming at it from a different way, empowering people to have the wherewithal to use the intellectual firepower to the greatest potential to ask better questions. You have companies, major tech companies now, outlawing. Now, again, you don't have to work there, but I think it's a greater movement. You have tech companies outlawing using uh, militaristic terms because they're, they're violent. So you can't say, I'm crushing it. We destroyed our projections. That's going to offend someone. So you can't have that anymore. Um, you have now this whole movement to if someone in history did or said something bad at some point in history, we've got to paint over it. We've got to tear it down. And I think in doing that, it's like, you know, maybe quite honestly, given that movement, maybe it wasn't an accident that everything about Hitler was removed because it's dirty and it's, it's violent. We can't learn about that. Well, if we don't know about, I can't remember the term, but you know, those who are ignorant of the past are condemned to repeat it. Two thirds, and I'm not someone who sits and rips on millennials. I don't get into that because quite honestly, I think what I'm about to say isn't their doing. I think it's our school system. I think it's parents. Uh, there was a poll out uh, last year, I believe, that two thirds of millennials don't know basic facts about the Holocaust. Now, I think there's a direct correlation between that and people comparing like everything to Hitler now. I'll do a post on, I'm not even like politics, but I'll do a post on something about business. Oh, businesses and Nazi Germany did the same thing. I mean, really, if we don't understand what evil looks like because it's dirty and we want to wrap everyone in bubble wrap, so we don't teach people about it, then the likelihood that we're going to be able to identify it when another Hitler comes along or someone who's truly evil, and this is, this is going to speed up the cycle of history repeating itself which is so dangerous. Oh, that's what the Nazis did. Who? What? The Nazis did what? You know, communism. There's a lot of people who don't even know that 100 million people died under communism. If you don't teach that, people don't know, and people push for communism. You know, the group of teachers from Chicago, school teachers, went to Venezuela and said how wonderful it is. It's like 1%, I think, of the population is living okay, and the rest are suffering. And, and so I don't want to weed out that news, Man, have a free market of news. Let's empower humans to see through it. That's the best way to combat it because I don't trust gatekeepers. And like you said, who's programming the algorithm? Who's controlling the news? Who's doing that? How are we going to police it? We're going to pass thought police laws. It's like 1984, George Orwell stuff, you know? Empower people. That's how you empower them to live lives of freedom and, and, you know, fight apathy and conformity, at least in my view. I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, to me, the idea of trying to prevent teaching about and learning about the Holocaust, like 
Oh, that that sickens me to my stomach. Actually, what it does is it infuriates me because I'm Jewish. And so that hits really close to home. I've been to Israel. I've gone to Yad Vashem. I've gone to the World War II Museum. Um, but, you know, I've, I've immersed myself in, in my culture my whole life. And I've seen these things and I've seen the repercussions of them. I've spoken to Holocaust survivors. Oh, man, like it is so important to to know these things and to know what really happened. And I really think at the end of the day, you know, empowering people is critical because if we're all on, if we're all looking for the truth and we don't tolerate anything but the truth, I think we, I think we all be much happier and, and we'd all at least be more aware of what's actually going on in the world around us. Absolutely. Totally agree. hundred percent. So uh, I'm curious because uh, we were talking about the, the question, who are you? Yeah. And, you know, in order to answer that, one must then have to ask themselves a question, who am I? So I'm curious, when you've asked yourself that question, what have the evolutions of your answers been over time? Yeah, you know, when I think about, um, you know, the problem was I didn't ask myself that question for 38 years of my life. Uh, probably, well, probably 40 years of my life, quite honestly. Um, and when I finally started asking me, you know, it helped that I had a coach, to help me through it because often we think we know a lot about ourselves and we don't, or we'll say things. And, you know, one of the things we do when we have people take the strengths finder assessment is take your results, share them with your wife, share them with your husband, share them with your friend, your girlfriend, whatever it is, because often it's like, like I remember positivity was really low for me. And I'm like, what, what? And I show my wife, she's like, Oh yeah, totally. You're a negative person. <laughs> <laughs> Often the people around us know us better than we do and can see the forest for the trees because we're too busy in the forest chopping down trees. The things that kept coming up for me again were the superpowers and saving the world and freedom. You know, a lot of people ask me the beard, about the beard. I grew it in 2016 for uh, No Shave November and people kept commenting, you got to shave that thing. At the time I had my agency and I had a client, oh, she's not going to like that. She's going to, the more people said that stuff, the longer it grew. And it kind of goes to the heart of who I am. It's free. It's freedom. It's don't make those rules, empower people to, I don't want to say fight the rules. If they're immoral, yeah, fight the rules. Um, but it, it, it's that, you know, that's why I read your poem. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Let's find what freedom means. And freedom to you, I, was, I had this discussion with someone the other day. Freedom to someone might be a nine to five job. It's like a warm blanket and that's what they want. Now, maybe they need to find a different job. But that's not a toxic workplace, but that's fine. You know, it, 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 a lot of people, I mean, you know, or I got to quit my job and move to the mountains. Maybe if that's what you want to do. Yeah, identify that and admit it. Don't be afraid to admit it and do it. That's not for me, might be for you. So. When you started asking, though, has it changed? Like, what has that evolution been now that you have been asking yourself? Um, how has it changed? You know, it it is such a, it rolls off the tongue and it's my armor uh, to say no to things that aren't along my vision that take me off the path. Um, it hasn't changed. Some of the outcomes within it have changed. You know, um, how best can I fulfill the vision and how can I get there have changed? You know, I was doing one-on-one -on -one coaching and then I said, you know, I don't feel that's the best way I could do it. 
So now I do accelerators and mastermind type of things. Um, I do events. So it's not so much my vision has changed. It's my vision is there. Maybe I wasn't getting there in the right way. And so rather than looking at the outcome, which I knew in my heart was the right thing, I looked at my inputs and the inputs didn't match it up. So I've shifted those to get to where I'm going in the shortest, straightest line rather than kind of this squiggly line where it's like, I know where I'm going, but I'm kind of lost in getting there. And what, what have been some of the most meaningful shifts and in inputs then? Um, I think a big, re, uh, a bit, one big one is not doing one-on-one -on -one coaching anymore. Um, it, it just wasn't me. Um, you know, through, through StrengthsFinder, I'm a strategic thinker. Uh, Gallup, we also have a, a, an assessment called the Builder Profile. They used to call it Entrepreneurial StrengthsFinder. Uh, I'm a disruptor and a seller. And not necessarily a seller like a closer, you know, Alec Baldwin from Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross, but selling ideas. I thrive on doing, having these types of conversations, having one-on-one -on -one conversations, having conversations in group coaching or putting on my own events or speaking at other events. That's where I'm in my superpower zone. The one-on-one -on -one coaching, um, it, it just, you know, it, I'm not a rules guy and it's kind of like, I, it ended up being following up every, did you do your homework? No, I didn't do my homework. Okay. You're wasting your time. You know, we, you know, that type of thing. I have found that through group masterminds, I love the communities and, and I can get in there and do my thing, but people helping people grow and having these, you know, conversations like you, like you kicked off um, this podcast with, that's what I have found has been the biggest shift moving toward that and really getting into more of the speaking and the communicating. So I'm curious because I feel like we're very similar in, in, in a lot of ways. Are you more of an introvert or an extrovert? It's interesting. Um, there's, there's most people would call me an extrovert. Um, I really don't think I am. I, so there's a strength called woo. And that's like, think Donald Trump. You know, you walk into a room and it's like, I am here. You know, it's like this. That's like in the 30s for me and my strength. And a lot of people, but you do a lot of speaking. You do all the, you know, I walk into a networking event and I freeze. I find the one person I know and I go to that person. If I have the choice of sitting home with my family or going out to anything, I choose to sit home. Um, but I can go and speak to a thousand people, no problem. And I, I feel like it's because I'm having a conversation with one person. And when I speak to a thousand people, it's just like I'm speaking to you right now. That's what I feel like. So I would have to say de definitely, you know, I look at my strengths and they are uh, individualization and relator are higher for me than like a woo and those types of things. But I'm a communicator too. So um, I like to communicate when I speak, I zone out. I was telling someone the other day, I give a speech and I come down and I'll ask my wife, like, How did, did I do okay? Like, what did I talk about? I don't remember. I literally zone out and I'll, I'll focus on a few people in the audience and I'll act like I'm talking to one person. It, it's this weird, I can't even describe it, but it's almost like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Old School, Will Ferrell, when he's debating and he zones out and all of a sudden gives this fabulous answer, destroys James Carville. And at the end, he's like, whoa, what happened? What happened? I passed out. That's kind of <laughs> how I feel. So, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. You know what's fascinating? I'm very similar. I'm very similar. See, like, 
like the i feel like drawing energy comes from for me comes from like the quiet uh or maybe not even quiet but like like more of more of laid back like a relaxed like reading a book or exercising or like being with my family or like sitting down for a meal together with a very very close knit very tight group of people but then like but it's a lot of fun to go out and give the speeches and be part of the groups and and to do that stuff but i feel like the energy like the the rejuvenation comes from those you know those more like laid back where you don't have to really be on uh situations uh, yeah 100 percent. yeah I, I feel the same way and it's it's now that we're talking about it it's such an interesting dichotomy right it, it's kind of like wow that's because i feel the exact same way and then but i love going to the speech i hate getting to the speech thinking about it beforehand but once they say go it's like boom yeah yeah and then i want to get the heck out of there so yeah <laughs> <laughs> me too me too you know, it's, you know it's interesting there's um there's this this test out there and it's it's similar to a strengths finder type of test so hopefully there's not any sort of competition there but um there was uh, i feel like it's all in the spirit of helping people become absolutely yeah and and so it was cool because it asked you to choose different words that described who you were and then it, it asked you to choose words that would describe who you needed to be for the job that you're currently doing or whatever position you're in, whatever. Hmm. And so it was trying to like assess, are you in the right fit? Like, is it hmm. a good fit, whatever you're doing? And what was interesting was that was one of the first times where I really thought about, because it told me that I was an introvert. I'm like, no way. I love, like I work with people all the time. I love working with people and I do. But then it, like I was going over it with, with somebody and they were like, we probably get your energy from, you know, the time, the more reserved times I was like, Oh my. And, you know, we kind of talked through it. And I was like, Oh my goodness, it's crazy. But what the, what the overall profile was to get, kind of give you archetypes was that of a philosopher. Hmm. And, yeah. and it was saying like, you really enjoy learning. You really enjoy like finding, like, like finding the, the, the concepts and the knowledge and, and, and acquiring that and teaching it. And, that's why public speaking comes so naturally. And so, dude, you may be a philosopher. It could be, could be. Yeah. I love, uh, I love reading it. You know, I've talked about the Socratic method here several times and, uh, you know, Ayn Rand, uh, I, a lot of people would not consider her a philosopher and they don't like her for political reasons, but I don't really care. I consider her a philosopher and objectivism. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And I think my communicator makes me, once I read philosophy and I think about it, oh gosh, I want to go communicate it to the world. Um, so uh, yeah, we're, we're, you and I are separated at birth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad we finally got to reconnect today. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, we look, we look so much alike. So yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you are the more handsome of the two, but you know, well, I don't know about that. We're both, yeah. we're both still doing pretty good. <laughs> so I'm curious to know, uh, it seems like you've done a lot of inner work and, you know, you can, I feel like you can really tell when you talk to somebody, um, it's either like, it's pretty clear. Like if, if somebody's taking the time to ask themselves hard questions, you really know. So I'm curious at this stage, you've done this work, you know, you're really in your groove, you're making waves. Um, what questions 
are you working on now? Like, what are the, like the outer limits of, of your study of what you're learning about and, you know, the things that you ponder? Yeah, I think, you know, this, the past, and I've talked about it a number of times because it's fresh and I'm, I'm working it into my training programs is really the Socratic questioning and, you know, going to first principles reasoning, which is, you know, Elon Musk talks about that, where he wanted to build a rocket and all the experts said, oh, it's $70 million or whatever it was. You can't do it, can't afford it. And he said, well, okay, what's a rocket made of? He broke down the ingredients said, well, what do each of those ingredients cost on the open market? And what does it cost to have someone put those together? And he did it, built it for like 2% of the cost. I think that Socratic method, you know, I'm real passionate about education and, and true education and getting to the heart of the way that, you know, we homeschool our kids. And, and so how to really get the most out of individuals. I think I'm really pondering the two words, apathy and conformity as the greatest threats to human existence, because I believe that whatever the threats are and whatever you believe those threats are, we're not going to fix them by sitting around fighting over who believes in it or doesn't believe in it. You know, you talk about the climate. Everyone's talking about climate or not climate. Well, let's talk about what happens if it happens. So let's just cut something down the middle and say, all right, if the seas rise by this much, a lot of us are in big trouble. Now, we could reverse the spin of the earth. We could shut down the economy. That's, we still know that's not going to happen because there's China. <laughs> you know, China is polluting the world. So what do we deal with it? You know, do we build locks and dams? Do we, do we spend money smarter? Do we stop building and backstopping insurance for homes, millionaires' homes right on the beach? You know, what do we, let's, let's use human ingenuity. And I truly believe that allowing individuals, you know, the world is doomed and, I, and maybe it's because I'm, you know, my positivity is low, right? Unless we allow people and empower people to use their superpowers to save it. And I'm a superpowers nerd, Marvel, you know, in the end, it wasn't because Tony Stark knew facts and figures. He knew how to be creative. And I think that creativity and fostering it and fostering the questions and the better, better asking of questions and you know, people knowing how to reason and problem solve, that's going to be the future of the earth rather than I know facts, you know facts, let's throw them at each other while the world burns. That is really kind of been what I've obsessed with for the past six months. Um, and, um, uh, you know, people around me know that because I talk about it all the time, but uh, I think it goes to the heart of freedom, quite honestly, and, and, and being free. I think that's so powerful. And I, I couldn't agree with you more of instead of talking about, oh, well, I believe and I believe this and, and I believe that this is this is happening or this is not happening. OK, regardless of whether or not you think it's happening, chances are there's probably some truth to it and it's probably happening in some way, shape or form. So why not just take action to fix it, like solve the fucking problem right. instead of instead of like bitching about if the problem exists or not. Because if you solve it, you don't have to worry about whether it exists or not because it's gone. You can, you know, it's it's fixed. Yeah. It, you know, it, it boggles my mind here in Charleston. You know, it's a city built. The downtown area is most of it landfill. Like it wasn't there during the Revolutionary War. So you fill it in. It's on the ocean. There's flooding. And everyone's freaking out. 
And it's like, well, that happens. You know, you're going to build a landfill. Okay, well, it's due to climate change. Okay, let's say that's true. You see the politicians here talking about how can Charleston reduce our carbon footprint? Well, Charleston reducing the carbon footprint isn't going to stop the flooding in Charleston. It's going to have like, I can't even show the minuscule impact it's going to have. Then you have, this happened this week. This happened three times in the last like three, four years. Some sewage pipe broke that they discovered after Lord knows how long and dumped, I don't know, 7,000 pounds of fecal matter and sewage into this creek that should be a pristine creek. And now you can, this has happened numerous times. I don't hear the local politicians saying, let's fix the, fix the sewer. If you want to help the environment, the local environment, let's focus on what we can control. Fix the sewer lines, you know, build some locks and dams. Gosh, you're in New Orleans, right? Yeah. Was it Katrina or was it the $6 billion that they gave to New Orleans for locks and dams that kind of went missing? You know, it's, it's a combo of the two, but focus on what we can control. You know, you might as well, if, if you focus on hurricanes, let's just, let's just evacuate New Orleans, Houston, you know, (laughs) it was the incompetent people who weren't taking the right action that really caused the significant majority of the damage in during Katrina and, and after, I mean, it was, it was really the incompetence, which goes back to very poor leadership, which probably goes back to the the conformity and parenting that we were talking about earlier, because that individual was definitely not equipped to handle that sort of crisis. <laughs> and the people who put him in there, like, you know, I'm, I'm part of that. I, I'm definitely guilty of that. I mean, I was, I'm not sure if I was a voting age, but it's still partly, it's my responsibility because I'm living there too. So like, that's a that's a people problem. That's you know what I mean. Like that's not a money or a or a natural disaster. That's a fucking people right. problem. Right. And the people have to. We have to just get our shit together. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, in any situation in any challenge, whether it's physical, mental, business, political, climate, you name it, there's things we can control and there's things we can't control. And often we focus so much on the things we can't control because it's sexy, because, you know, we focus on our weaknesses instead of our strengths. And that's where fear comes in. Cause you're like, I want to start a business. Okay. What can you control? Well, I'm scared of sales. All right. You're focusing on what you can't control. What can you learn about sales? Can you hire someone to do the sales for you? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm very good at writing. Then focus on the writing, you know, focus on that's what you can control. And it, so many of us spend, and it's a constant struggle. I mean, you said that I, I've done a lot of self-work or inner work. It's a, it's a constant battle. And, you know, every, like, like every entrepreneur, like most people, I have this kind of, I call it entrepreneurial manic depression, where it's like all of a sudden one day, it's like there's a scene in uh, Infinity War where, you know, Iron Man, he's got, you know, the nanotech suit and he's just pounded on Thanos. And after a while, Thanos all that for a little drop of blood. There's some weeks where I feel that I've just pounded and pounded and nothing. And then I wake up Saturday like, oh, oh my gosh, what am I doing? If you don't have a clear vision of where you want to go, those Saturday mornings are horrible because you're like, not only did I, you know, unleash my fury and nothing happened. I don't know. Now I don't even know where the hell I'm going. If you are sure of your vision, it's like I unleashed for fury, nothing happened. All right. I got to try a little different fury. 
next week. And that's where the difference is. You, you, that's, you know, when you know to give up on the inputs you've been doing and switch them up a little bit is it's worth it. It's not working. I know someone else has done it. So let me try something else. Absolutely. I think that's brilliant. Well, you know, man, I, I want to thank you so, so much for, uh, for, for coming on the show today. And, um, you know, Kurt, it, it was truly a pleasure to, to meet you and, and to share this time with you. And, um, I'm very grateful for it. Uh, so thank you. Thank you very much. It, it's been a pleasure. I, I think you and I are, are kindred spirits in many ways. And I think that, you know, you brought up philosopher and I think that if a lot more people adapted some philosophy in their life, whatever it is, I think the world would be a better place. And I, I think it's a key to, to really the future of this globe of ours. I think so too. So I uh, have one more question for you. Yes, sir. And, uh, then we'll wrap it on that. Um, I want to know, uh, what question should I be asking you that I just wouldn't think to ask? Um, I had this, I had a discussion. You asked a lot of great questions about who we are and who you are. And earlier today, I had a, a discussion with an entrepreneur who said, you know, if we asked, this is kind of going back to the Socratic questioning. If more people ask that question, why? Why? Just for anything. Why? And I suggested, yeah, you know what? The follow-up question to that is why not? Why am I doing this? And I really want to do this, but I can't. It's too tough. It takes too much money. Why not? Do I need permission to do it? And pairing those two questions together can be, um, I think, extremely empowering to you to question what you're doing, what path you're on, and then ask yourself, I really want to go down this path. Why the hell not? So I, I leave you with those. There are two questions I cheated, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally okay. We're not conforming on this show. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, Kurt, thank you so much, man, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And to everybody who's watching and listening, um, I love y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for uh, sticking with us all the way here. Um, you know, we've, we've been talking about a lot of things. So I hope, hope you had some things to stimulate your mind and to really think about it. Um, I'd love to hear about it. So let us know what you think. Um, and uh, I'll make sure to, to get all those messages to Kurt. Uh, if, or, you know, go, go look for Kurt. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he has plenty of plenty of stuff online. Um, or, you know, whatever time you're listening or watching to this, maybe online doesn't even exist, but look up <laughs> and search for Kurt. He will be there in the history book. So anyways, thank you all very much. Uh, thank you again, Kurt, and I will see you all. Thank you, Ben. Episode. Take care now.